0: Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Sam.
1: I thought we could start today off by playing a game. I love
0: games. Lay it on me.
1: This is a it's a hard game. Um, are you good at math? Uh, I'm okay at math. This is a math game of sorts. So, I'm going to I'm going to give you a bunch of numbers. Okay. And your job is to guess what those numbers are. Okay. 29 27
0: 25 21 28 and 23 are these the ages of the actors in the film
1: bing 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 <laughs> you got it i don't know why i said bing 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 it's like ding 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 or bingo but uh yeah exactly right so these they're supposed to be 17 uh the characters right because the movie has the movie uh, percy jackson sea of monsters which we're talking about today um right that the, the, the character has been aged up to 16 from 12 in the books this is the second movie so in theory right annabeth and percy and clarice if they're supposed to be the same age they're supposed to be 17 uh tyson in the book right he's a He's a little guy. I mean, he's he he's like yeah. six or something, right? Grover's a little older. Luke's a little older. But but uh, Brandon Jackson, who plays Grover, is twenty nine when the film was released. Um, Alexandra Daddario plays Annabeth. She was twenty seven when the movie was released. Jake Abel, who plays Luke, uh, he was twenty five, um, about to turn twenty six. Logan Lerman, who plays Percy, 21. He's the youngest, and he looks like he's 45. Um, He looks the oldest in this movie. Um, Douglas Smith, who plays Tyson, the little guy, right? He's 28, right? He's seven years older than Percy Jackson uh, or than uh, Logan Lerman, And then Levin Rambia, who plays Clarice, is 23. Wow.
0: You know, this is something that I did, in fact, comment on as we were my wife and I were watching this film. I just turned I just turned to her and I said, all of these people are, in fact, children when it's like it's so obvious that they're all like essentially (laughs) thirty (laughs) five.
1: I mean, this is a this is a coming of age story, right? Right. Some of the main characters are almost 30.
0: I had the same complaint in the first movie where in the woods some of the children have full beards uh, and I was like, <laughs> uh, this is why i'm so excited for the remake because they actually cast kids to play kids uh, which seems like a smart
1: move well uh, let's cue the music and then we'll come back and uh, pick up this episode Hello and welcome to the All Roads Podcast, where we turn children into middle-aged men. We're your hosts, (laughs) Dr. Sam Kindick and Sam Hahn. And today we're talking about the second Percy Jackson movie, Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters, which came out in 2013, directed by Thor Freidenthal, written by Mark Guggenheim, uh, neither of which... Uh, neither of whom have much TV experience or movie experience, which I think is interesting. interesting. Um, they both have sort of TV backgrounds, and Mark Guggenheim, uh, wrote you know, did, did some video games and stuff. Uh, so neither of them are big name directors. I wonder if this we see this or feel this effect, uh, when we watch the movie. Um, it gets an IMDb rating of 5.7 out of 10. Um, but, yeah, it's the last Percy Jackson movie. Uh, obviously, there's this reboot coming in a couple of weeks that we'll be watching and talking about. Um, but Sam, what's your first impression? I mean, you, obviously, all these characters are old. Uh, it's more like a midlife crisis film than a coming of age movie. Um, what what, what do you, What's your first thought? What's your takeaway for this film?
0: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this film. I I think if I could sum it up, though, very succinctly, I feel like this film felt so much weirder. Like the, the first movie has a lot of kind of cringe moments, but actually seems to, in some ways, embrace the source material again. In kind of the worst way possible. It's a terrible adaptation, but it, the first movie at least seems to be trying to do Percy Jackson, Greek mythology. The thing that struck me about this movie was I couldn't find the connection to Greek mythology. It seemed completely disinterested in pursuing Percy Jackson and the whole premise of the show. It seemed like they were allergic to Greek mythology or the source material. And kind of when I left the movie, you know, my wife and I were in this just weird mood after we watched it. And I think it was just because it could have been any movie like this could have been about anyone. Like there's nothing that made this specifically Percy Jackson, uh, which I found just so odd. Um, And We can talk about a lot of the choices they made in this film, but it just seems like they made the wrong choice kind of every time for like giving the movie, any sort of character, it was just like, it was just so bland. Maybe that's, maybe that's my review is bland.
1: Yeah. The, the gods aren't really there. Right. No. I mean, we, we got Mr. D we got Dionysus um St- played by Stanley Tucci. I know I was, I was going to say uh he doesn't, he wasn't Dionysus in the first one. Was he? No, Dionysus doesn't appear in the first. Okay. Um, that's weird also um but right there's no you know we don't have this like council on olympus and these like high level meetings you know these angsty conversations between zeus and poseidon like we get in the first one um yeah it's so it's it's really zoomed down on percy um we get this prophecy right and you know we we finally get chronos um, and the story of Kronos is is right, this like weird little stained glass animation mm-hmm. scene. Um, right, Luke is here, but Luke, I mean, Luke and Kronos feel like an afterthought for much of the film. Yeah. Um, but I see what you mean, right? The the sort of Greek mythology is is weak. I mean, we have we have polyphemus, we have this discussion of Cyclops, we've got allusions to the fact that you know the Cyclops were chasing um, Thalia and Annabeth and Grover and Luke. Right? Um, right. It plays a bigger role in the book uh, where the, all the Cyclops live in Brooklyn or something like this. Right. And, but there's, there's not much uh, sort of myth. I mean, the golden fleece is a weird cloth.
0: Right. It doesn't <laughs> look like a fleece. It's not really golden. I mean, my, my thing too, is like, you, you're, you're right. Like polyphemus is like, the big anchor to Greek mythology, like the Cyclops. Um, But again, like his lair is completely divorced from mythology. It's just in the ruins of this amusement park that, you know, is Circe's amusement park that went wrong, which doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, And it's just like, this could be anywhere. Just like this could be, it just felt like kind of, they had a bunch of like, I don't know, carnival, props and they're like well we have to use these for something and they're like well the percy jackson movie needs props so like we could just reuse the right it's just like it feels completely divorced from the book from mythology yeah just like polyphemus makes an allusion to the fact that he's already eaten all of his sheep and i was like where are his sheep grazing prior to him eating this it's just an abandoned amusement part, And, and i'm just like It just loses all of the magic. I'm like, you could put any creature in this lair, right? You could have a, you know, a wizard living in here. Like there's nothing that makes it a lair for Polyphemus other than, you know, they had a CGI budget that they used sporadically throughout this movie. Um, Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, I assume that the amusement park was a nod to the amusement park in the book, the first book. Right, the, the the water world type thing, right, where there's the love. I mean, I, I, that's the maybe. only connection I could make. Um, cause it's not, it's not really, uh, the same, obviously. No. And they've, they've, they've smushed it in with the, the Cersei spa from the book. Um, so we don't get Percy as a guinea pig, which I thought would have been,
0: right, great. it would have been fun.
1: Yeah. But I guess it's maybe the, the movie wasn't fun. It's dark. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a lot darker visually. It was darker. Sure. Um, we have all this time in the Cyclops' cave, which is dark, but then there's like these like creepy neon lights sort of like in the background. And there's that neon sign that said Lucky that's sort of like flashing in the background. Um Yeah, so it's I don't know, it didn't feel like a kids' movie, first of all, right? There's not kids in it. Um the 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 vibe was dark and broody. Um but I think that they're you know the again the the casting is weird, right sure the, the as you as you mentioned in the opening right The all the there's all these other kids at the camp um and I spend increasingly as I watch these movies, um thank goodness we're done with them though um I wonder who they because like in all these shots where there's like you know large campers or This one felt more like a Renaissance fair, like when they're just like sitting around fires and like having, you know, drinking nectar, uh, like doing shots of nectar. Uh, I wonder who these people are in the background, because there's a couple extras who you see a couple times and they're just like random looking 20 year olds. And sometimes like some kids are just like randomly wearing armor and some kids are just like wearing jeans and like a like a like a hoodie. Uh, And I just don't. I don't get like they don't talk about the camp much. Uh we lose the whole you know the whole opening scene from the book um with the Leicestergonians and like the dodgeball and yeah. So there so there's no there's no transition. There's no like reminder that Percy is a normal kid for 9 months of the year and he is a, a he's a kid uh and he goes to a school with kids and he isn't sure what his role in society is. He's uncertain about sort of who he is. He like straddles these two worlds and there's this, there's always this transition when he gets back, right back to camp. Oh, this is where I belong. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's Harry Potter. It's, you know, it's any sort of myth of initiation where there's separation and adventure then reintegration. Mm-hmm. Um, we lose all that. Right. It just opens. He's like in the camp and, um, and then they're like, oh, we need to go on a quest. And Chiron's like, you have to go to the Bermuda Triangle. Right? There's no, right. there's no adventure.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 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 finding it hard to talk about this movie because again, it so little happens in it, too. Like they cut out so much and Again, one of my complaints with the first movie is I feel like they squander their time in very weird ways. But that's nothing compared to this film. Um, Like, I think a great example is the yacht um, where Luke and all of his cronies are. There's so much time in this movie spent on that yacht um, in that first confrontation. Um, And again, it's not very interesting. Not a lot happens. Um, and again, is kind of just divorced from, from the plot. It, it, it doesn't connect well to Percy Jackson, the themes, Greek mythology and whatnot. There's a lot of this movie that just feels like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we like rented a yacht and we shot a bunch on it? And it's like, oh, that's expensive. So we have to shoot a lot on it. Um, and yeah, it's just like, yeah, you lose a lot of the, the whimsy. I think this film also. You know, we make lots of comparisons to Harry Potter when we talk about um, Percy Jackson, because, you know, um, we're um, at least I'm a millennial. I think you're a millennial, too. Um, Right. This movie clearly is inspired by uh, the third Harry Potter film. Like there's a lot of attempts to copy what that film does, like um, where the, you know, the gray eye in their taxi. Um, you know, are shuttling the heroes, right. It's just like, it's clearly trying to replicate the night bus scene from the third Harry Potter. And it's just not successful. It's just weird and awkward and not well shot. And it's just like, it's not good. And again, it, it this movie seems to be doing everything, but engage with its actual source material. Um And it's just trying to, yeah, again, it just feels like it's a movie trying to replicate what other movies are doing. Right. It's got a a James bond with the yacht scene. It's got some Harry Potter with the taxi scene. It's got some, I don't even know what you want to do with the amusement park, kind of horror, Scooby-Doo-ness to it. But none of this is like Harry, none of this is Percy Jackson. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which you know is just frustrating because they don't do any of those things well either. So it's not; it, it doesn't succeed as a you know James Bond ripoff, a Harry Potter ripoff, a Scooby Doo ripoff.
1: It just loses itself. Um. Yeah, I'm. I uh. I don't know how to respond to the the taxi cab thing other than it was just <laughs> so bad, right? And like like it was, it was weird and shot weird, and, and long. And, it was very long. And it was just like there's all these like one liners that were just really bad. Right. Mm-hmm. When they do the split, uh, the the one in the middle is like, we paid extra for that option. Like it was like, yeah. I don't know. It was just, it was just, it kind of summed the movie up. Um in a lot of ways. Uh I don't know. Yeah, it's a, uh, it wasn't good. My son, who's who just turned six, he says he likes it better than the the first one well um we should but, take
0: that into account then
1: yeah i uh, mean but maybe not i mean it's i don't know right he he watches a lot of questionable tv so right yeah so let's oh sorry go ahead no no you go i was just going to uh see if we could uh resuscitate uh, any any aspect of this if we could um give them the benefit of the doubt talk about some some interesting scenes maybe well maybe well then maybe before we do that let me just say one more thing Please. Uh,
0: about tyson um i think tyson is emblematic of all of this film's problems and the just the failure to commit to the bit um and the premise of the whole show right i mean in the book tyson as a cyclops is such an important part of this of that book and this film does everything in its power not to show you that he's a Cyclops. He always looks like either he's wearing his s- stupid sunglasses or he the mist is being applied. Uh, oh, dear listener, I'm using quotation marks, right? They're trying to save their CGI budget because yeah. they don't that like was, doing this. That, that
1: was my first thought. He put the sunglasses on and
0: I was like, that just saved money. Right. And and then, yeah, when they're like, we're applying the myth so you can just see his two eyes. Um, and I was just like, they just don't want to embrace the source. He's just a guy in this movie, just like him being a Cyclops is in no way relevant in this film. And they don't seem interested in, in engaging with that and do everything possible to mask it, which, again, I just feel like is how they just treat the source material from the start. Again, they get Tyson completely wrong. He's so old. Uh, and just like his characterization is nothing like in the book. And again, they they don't really find it interesting that he's a Cyclops. He's just like a brother that sometimes has
1: one eye um, um, to Percy can he see with the sunglasses on? Right. Cause they've got like a bridge right in the middle. Right. Uh, they don't even,
0: yeah. It, frustrating. They don't even try and embrace the fact that these sunglasses would have to be functional for someone with one eye. Um. I also found it very sad that um, he's disgusted by his own one. eyeness Like every time the misses applies, he's like, Oh, I'm so beautiful now that I have two eyes. And I'm like, that's, that sucks. Like, I hate that. Like, again, like Annabeth, doesn't like Tyson in the movie and in the book but like to have Tyson be self-loathing of himself it kind of sucks uh in this movie and doesn't make a ton of sense because part of the book is like coming to term like people being like oh okay like the cyclops aren't all like inherently evil like creatures like Tyson can be this like force for good they are also descended from the gods and what does it mean to be you know, a child of God. And in this one, it's like, here's, here's, you know, here's your plot MacGuffin. He'll be able to solve some things later on in the movie uh, because of his fire resistance or whatever.
1: Um, Yeah. And I mean, there, but there is a moment though. um, It's it's a, it's a key moment at the end of the movie when the Cyclops, you know, they're in the cave and they're fighting the Cyclops uh, polyphemus and, you know, he's talking to, uh Tyson and he's like you're a traitor to your kind and Tyson's like these guys are my kind right he's like you know he is a he's a half just like Polyphemus I mean he's half whatever the the other half is and then half Poseidon right so he is a half brother of Percy just like Polyphemus is um and so he is elected right and this is if we want to overanalyze, right. This is what Cyclopses do. They straddle the, 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 the sort of boundary between civilization and human and lack of civilization and monster monstrosity. Right. And right. so polyphemus has embraced the monstrous, you know, nature, right. He's got you know, sticks with weird satyr skulls, you know, on them. Right. And he ate all the sheep and he lives in the abandoned amusement park. Um, but Tyson has elected to go the other way. He's chosen civilization over, you know, the lawlessness that Homer describes in the the Odyssey that we talked about in the last episode. Um so I don't know. I'm trying I'm I'm I am trying to find deep meaning uh where I don't think there is any. Um, but that's maybe just sort of the nature of my my brand of, of, uh, scholarship.
0: <laughs> well, well then, you know, you wanted to touch on, you know, redeeming moments in this film. So I'd, I'd love you to, because I, I left this film thinking the first film looks a lot better than this one. Uh, and the first one was very bad. Um, so I, I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious to kind of hear your thoughts on, uh, what did you like about this film or, or where, where maybe can we redeem
1: some elements? Well again there are these these are moments that I I found connections to ancient Greek source Greek and Roman source material hmm. um whether or not they were actually nods whether or not it's actually there uh you know that's a different question uh but I like to see uh, <laughs> I like to see the Greeks and the Romans and everything and especially in a, in a movie that's an adaptation of a book about you know, reimagining Greek mythology. There should be some, and you know, mm-hmm. some of them are are intentional, right? So, just a couple moments, which I think are kind of cool, right? There's, you know, Annabeth is on her iPad at one point when they're in the camp, and she's like looking for information about something. I forget what it is.
0: The Golden um, Fleece,
1: right? Is it, are they looking at the Golden Fleece? I think so. Well, they weren't reading the Argonautica. I can tell you that. Um, but she's on her iPad and she's reading Greek right i didn't pause it to see if it is like actual sensical greek or if it's just like greek characters um but there's like the background is sort of like papyrusy. so she's like reading like a greek you know a papyrus scroll she's scrolling on her ipad um so that was just a little flavor i thought was flavorful i don't know it was yeah it, it, Sure. There, there was a there was an acknowledgement that, that that there's like ancient Greek is a thing and there's just like a classical element. Um, I like that when they uh when they uh, when 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 Mr. D, when Stanley Tucci announces the quest, right? We got to go get this golden fleece to rescue or to protect this tree. Uh, and he he sends Clarice and he sends this other satyr, right? I had no idea there were other satyrs. Um, I don't think are other satyrs mentioned in the books.
0: Yeah, there are. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't I know. I, I can't remember if it's by name or not, but yeah. Yeah. Like there are other satyrs. There are these protectors. And again, like there's that ongoing thing where satyrs keep trying to find. And, um, right. and we find out the reason why they've all died so far is because they get trapped by polyphemus.
1: Um and so we name a satyr right tie, right this this other satyr and um it's cool because Ichnautai is the name of an actual ancient greek play a, a satyr play um written by sophocles and it means the trackers or the searchers and it's about these satyrs who go on this quest um i think this is where the whole notion of satyrs um as searchers in the Percy Jackson universe comes from. Um, but this, you know, they go on this quest to to rescue the the, the stolen cattle of Apollo um from Hermes. So I just like that. I mean the problem is Icknowtai is plural. Um right. so uh so half points the, the Greek is not right, but uh I appreciated that that nod anyway because there's no explanation of it and most people probably just missed it. Um so I like those things there are a couple of scenes i thought we could uh project onto classical moments yeah so for example with uh we get that uh flashback is it the first scene of the movie i forget we, we see thalia right and thalia right. is running with with annabeth and grover and, they and actually, luke
0: and they actually cast children to play those roles Yeah, which was shocking
1: weird right yeah. seven years ago grover was 31 or 21 rather 22 um, <laughs> but i guess it's 8 years now in the, the 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 book but when thalia you know she she prays to her father and then she is you know turned into this tree right and it reminds me and i'm sure you know where i'm going here Damn. it reminds me a lot of the story of Apollo and Daphne yeah. in the first book of Ovid's metamorphoses. Um, and the story there, I mean, a little bit different um, right. that there's this nymph Daphne and Apollo is made to fall in love with her by Cupid, who is angry that Apollo was mocking him. So Cupid shoots Apollo and makes him fall in love right? with the magic, you know, Valentine's day arrows um, to make him fall in love with Daphne. But, Cupid also shoots Daphne with a do not fall in love arrow and so she is you know impelled uh compelled to to flee and, and Apollo is compelled to um to chase and so they chase right. and and the the pinnacle the the important moment um is the moment that Daphne um is rescued she she prays to her father um and that's when you know, read a little bit from uh, the Miller translation in my lobe. Um, oh, father, help. Right. And then her father is a, a, a sea God or a, a river God. So, but she prays to her father, just like, um, just like Dahlia uh, does. Scarce had she thus prayed when a down dragging numbness seized her limbs and her soft sides were begirt with thin bark. Her hair was changed to leaves her arms to branches her feet, but now so swift, grew fast and sluggish roots. And her head was now but a tree's top. Her gleaming beauty alone remained. Um, and it's much better in the Latin, right? Um, the way that the, the words, Ovid puts the words together. You can see the sort of transformation um, mm. in the actual text. So that's, you know, this passage is as, as good a reason as any to go out and uh, learn Latin um, if you haven't already. But it's this, I mean, this this transformation um of you know girl to tree and you see it with thalia i mean we don't see the whole complete metamorphosis but we see the sort of the tree um i forget does the tree sort of become part of her or does she does a tree grow out of her i mean there's this like sort of there is this transformation um it's like she's at the base of the tree it's almost like right. Again, like,
0: you know, in, in the Daphne, like, she is being transformed into a tree and is kind of playing on the imagery of, like, the human body as, like, a trunk and, like, you know, the head and whatnot. Like, they don't obviously play with that imagery in this film. It's just kind of her body underneath the roots of the tree that's kind of growing out of her.
1: Yeah. Um, the the best visual, um, aside from this movie, of course, is... Uh, do you know the Bernini sculpture of Apollo oh, and yeah. Daphne? Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, in the uh, the Villa. Have you seen it? Have you been to the the Villa Borghese in Rome? Yeah. Yes, I have. Amazing museum. Annoying, right? You have to get like a time ticket. Yeah. Um,
0: but I'm well just, worth it. There's there's so much is. cool stuff. Uh, yeah, so much Bernini, um, in, in that museum.
1: Last time I was in Rome, I had a time ticket and i i like walking everywhere in rome or in this case running i i misjudged how long because the villa borghese is like up in the like corner um and i was staying near the pantheon i misjudged how long it was going to take me to get there and i was afraid that if i didn't get there right when the timed ticket began i wouldn't be admitted and so i sprinted this was like in july in rome where it's Super hot. Um, I I like sprinted through the city and I got there and I was like a dripping mess. And of course, I had no problem getting it. I don't think they even looked at my ticket. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's amazing and it's right next to it's in the same room as the Bernini sculpture of Aeneas carrying his father, yes. Um, which is another great one, but in the in the Bernini, and these are sculptures right in the round so you can walk around them and you can see Apollo is like touching Daphne and they're sort of melded together but Daphne is is you know her skin has started to bark over um her she's got uh, the branches growing out uh, but the detail i mean you can see the the veins on uh on the figures um just beautiful beautiful sculptures so that, i want to give them the benefit of the doubt and imagine that uh in the telling of or in the, the showing of this scene, they imagined, or they could, you know, that there is was no Vidian reference. That's my hope. I may have gone too far though.
0: I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, Rick Riordan probably is thinking of, of Daphne as he's writing, you know, the story of Thalia in, in the books, because, you know, it, it is the most famous, you know, Um, transformation into a tree story again very different circumstances but like stands out as like a thing that the gods can do for um, those who are dear to them and it's kind of this kind of beautiful like memorial in in some ways right it's a protection
1: Um, right i mean it's a protection
0: um i mean philemon and bacchus um the same thing happens to them as well they're like two intertwined trees right Um, this is in book eight of the met of ovid's metamorphoses yeah right um mm. i guess probably all of the tree transformations are in the mat um i would assume um but yeah it, it is an evocative like image uh which uh, i think you know uh, uncle rick has every right to to claim for his stories and the movie you know in a moment of clarity actually preserves um uh for its own
1: purposes what i mean and we talked about this a little bit in the last podcast we want to talk about the book right the golden fleece has taken on this healing power right which it doesn't seem to have had in the classical tradition um and at the end of the movie we see thalia healed right she comes mm-hmm. out and she's like i had a weird dream um is there any i you may not know this i don't i can't think of anything but i wonder if there's any any reversals of transformations in the classical tradition right where Somebody like Daphne, is who is turned into a tree, right? She's the original um, laurel tree or, or bay tree, which is why Apollo loves um, the laurel crowns that, that victors wear. Um, are there any examples of, of the sort of undoing of those transfers? Maybe in Apuleius' golden ass, right? Does Yeah. He turns into a donkey, then at the end he's undonkified. Yeah. It becomes like a, yeah. A, uh, a priest. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's probably the best example um, of this. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I don't, I don't know of other ones. Um, it's definitely picked up by like other people. Um right like other people who are influenced by like greek mythology have these kind of like saving from these kind of transformed states to my, in my mind the first thing that comes um to my recollection is um like the lion the witch in the wardrobe like the chronicles of narnia like there are these kind of reversals of these transformations in there and he's obviously um you know pulling on that tradition um you know um you know c s lewis's uh, you know Uh, a scholar of of Milton too. So Milton's obviously being influenced by the Greeks and Romans. So, so there's kind of a a channel for that in those instances, but yeah, I'm not sure other than the golden ass, if I can think of any others.
1: What if in those Narnia movies, those kids had been in their mid twenties, like little Lucy, who's like seven or something. If she had been like, Thirty-five.
0: They would have had the same directors that directed this movie. It sounds like, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like played by like Bette Midler or somebody, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's, oh, it's just it's so weird because it's yeah, yeah. It, it's a kids movie, and you know, I don't want to spend too much. I mean, I, I could happily spend a lot of time talking about Harry Potter, but that was one of the cool things about the Harry Potter movies. And to me, it was a little frustrating was that they were so young in the first one. And obviously they, you know, they were not putting one movie out a year. And so the, the care the the actors grew faster than the characters. And so by the end, you're like, how old are these guys anyway? But it's nothing compared to like starting right. with like with grownups. Um, right. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be great to uh in the the new Disney plus TV show to to get kids right to get you know a 12 year old Percy um it'll certainly feel different
0: yeah do we want to talk about Kronos in in this film
1: yeah I want to talk about one thing one more moment
0: okay Um, yeah That I thought was
1: weird in this movie but I'm assuming is based on a deep reading of Apollonius's Argonautica which of course is a major oh. source a source material. I mean I think right. that's something we talked about last time. It's yes. my favorite my favorite Jason moment. Right, which happens early in book 1 of the Argonautica after Jason the hero uh brings all the Argonauts together and he calls for a vote um to, to see who's going to be the captain of the Argonauts. Um and everyone just like looks at Heracles and in one um in unison they shout Heracles and Heracles says no, let the, let this guy have it. There's a moment when they're fighting Kronos, um, and they're all kind of hunched behind something. I think it's Percy, Annabeth, Grover, and Clarice. I think they're all there. And Percy says, um Yeah, because they're all quick. tied up. Um yeah. they've oh, been- that's that's another thing, right? Why does he have to – he, like, breaks Grover's bond by shooting the pen out into his, like, hand? Yeah. Why not just extend the sword and then slice it? It seemed dangerous. Um, But he says – Percy says, I mean, who voted me leader? And they all raised their hand. Um right. And so it felt like Jason. But, of course, this is Clarice's quest, right? And then Percy, you know, magnanimously gives Clarice – the you know the fleece to to bring back um but percy is like the leader from the the start right he's obviously the hero um but it's i don't know this this weird election of him like in the middle of like the battle it, it, it didn't seem necessary it felt weird right um, so I, the only reason it could be there is cuz um mark guggenheim who wrote it uh must have been a a devotee of apollonius
0: um, yeah It's the only thing it, I think of It must be a deep illusion too Because it also doesn't actually follow What happens in the Argonautica
1: No it doesn't It's. I mean it's a correction In the same way that Hellenistic authors Like Apollonius right. himself Responded to the Homeric epics In the same way uh, Guggenheim responds To the Hellenistic epics. So Yeah that's a yeah. weird scene And
0: Well that whole scene is weird To begin with just because again talk about just completely disrespecting the source material again this movie just completely ignores the complete end of that book it just rewrites it um again because the first movie completely forgot to bring up Kronos and the whole point of the series so they're like we got to shoehorn this in so we can keep making these movies and then obviously it made money but not enough money to justify keep making the mo- the movies so they never made a third you know which is a good thing ultimately but yeah it it is just it is wild um again it's surprising if you've read the book and you get to the end you're like oh you know Clarice flies back and takes the fleece and saves the day and Luke confronts them and it's too late he can't get the fleece and then it's like actually they're here and they do capture them and they do get the fleece and actually they are successful in resurrecting Kronos <laughs> I was like oh
1: wild um, right which I, I assume I haven't read all the books but my assumption is that at the end of the fifth book or something there's going to be like a showdown with Cronos, right but that that feels like where it's headed and right we're in book two now, right? Like in a you know, in Circe land. So it seems weird, right? Kronos I did like that Kronos eats Luke. Um yeah. It so it's again, but it misses the point, right? Kronos devours his children because he's afraid of one of these intergenerational um revolutions. Right. Um, and I guess Luke is, I mean, he's the grandson, I guess, of Kronos, and he's not really or no, he's the great, great grandson he says he's the grandson but he's the son of hermes and hermes is the son of zeus and zeus is the son of chronos right
0: you're asking a lot of these film these filmmakers to
1: <laughs> like a wicket like wikipedia like, yeah I don't know. yeah um, can you
0: imagine right yeah it, yeah chronos again is just like a mindless evil right it's like he's not you know Crooked Cronus. He's right? like a he's fire,
1: like... a fire golem or something. Right, exactly.
0: And so he's like me, see, demigod. Me
1: eat demigod. Um. So I, I like that Cronus ate Luke, and then of course after Cronus is defeated, Luke is dropped in the Polyphemus's cave, and Polyphemus is about to eat Luke. So he's about to get eaten twice, Uh, which I thought was, I don't know. It comes back to the cannibalism thing that I talked about a
0: lot a couple of episodes ago. Um, But yeah, very, again, this is where I get back to like, this is just, this has been done a million times in these sorts of movies. Like, oh, we get to the end, there's a big bad guy. How are we going to defeat him? Oh, we like are constantly losing and then all of a sudden we win and we defeat him and
1: yada, yada, yada. Um, Well, he's defeated by... His sword, right. Necklesmos, which is the cursed blade. It's I guess it's in, in, insinuated that the sword is forged out of the the sickle that Zeus uses to castrate, or no? That Kronos uses that. Kronos. wait, no. Cronus uses that
0: to castrate Uranos.
1: The, Uranos. But in in Percy says that his dad, Poseidon, had killed Kronos. Yeah. But that has it nothing make, to
0: do with anything, right? Yeah, no. No, it, they're making this up.
1: Um how's Kronos killed? He's does it like
0: I mean it's the great, it's the great, you know, battle,
1: right? It's oh in the, the Titan. titanomachy, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know, I don't know what what they're on about um with and and it being this the special sword that can fill chronos and yeah we'll never know we'll
1: never know again they never made yeah it's the last one um but again you know it's i guess they they always leave these things open um so you know uh, thalia comes back and it seems like we're gonna be you know maybe oh maybe thalia is what the prophecy is about uh and then they're like it shows the like the weird sarcophagus of chronos and it sort of like glows and then like there's like Right, and you're like, how is it glowing? Yeah, some like, he... some like some like some like rocks like shift within it or something like lava rocks. Yeah. I didn't understand that, but uh, yeah. So they 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 leave it open. Uh, maybe they will make another one. They make you know maybe uh, they'll 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 reprise the roles of all the characters. Um, Grover, who's well older, into who's their older 30s. than me, yeah, he'll be forty. Um, <laughs> but why not? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, I don't know. Did you have did you have like one moment? What was your favorite moment? Did you have was there anything good? I mean, were you at least eating Sour Patch Kids or something or did you listen? Uh, I,
0: I had I had I had popcorn this time. I I, I played it uh, much more uh, wisely. So I enjoyed some delicious popcorn while I, I enjoyed this viewing. Um, I I actually, to be honest, uh, didn't mind Nathan Fillion's performance as Hermes. Like I didn't, I didn't hate the Hermes scene, you know, the stuff he gives them is much less interest. I mean, he gives them the, the wins, but then giving them the weird tape that makes things disappear is dumb. I hated that. I thought that was dumb, but like Nathan Fillion as Hermes played it up pretty well. Like I thought his performance was very good. And I thought, you know, overall that was an enjoyable scene um, with him and, you know, pretty funny and got more to, the spirit of the books than any other part of that film. Um, Sarcastically, my favorite moment is the fact that the filmmakers realize they have to show the healing power of the fleece. And so they make sure that even though the fight is won, I think they've already defeated Kronos, the manticore gets Annabeth, so they have to heal her. Uh, it's very anticlimactic uh, at the end of that fight scene. It is wild, but they have to show you that it has healing powers, lest you forget and aren't was sure it, why it works. Was
1: that a manticore? Because it was kind of like, there was like those like bear, like that bear sidekick that Luke has in the book. It was like kind of that, but like mixed with like a scorpion.
0: I don't know. Right. I mean, yeah, it's kind of, again, like a lot of this movie is kind of unrecognizable mythology, right? It's just like cool monster uh, sort of thing i'm pretty sure it's a manticore that's my best guess
1: yeah well they're yeah they're more like lions but yeah i don't know anyway not important uh i mean if it's not
0: if it's not a manticore then they just completely made it up um that's what i'm
1: going with i think it's just, <laughs> so whatever whatever botched. it
0: is like they make sure that okay we've i think i think it's after they defeat Cro- you know listener it is It I'm is. Wrong. yeah it is um no, no. but it
1: is just a wild anticlimactic
0: moment um
1: Again, a lot of weird choices in this. I assume I assume that was a reference to the the pit scorpion at the end of the first book that Luke uh, uses that stings Percy. But again, I think we're 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 giving them too much.
0: (laughs) Probably too much credit. Maybe.
1: Maybe I like I like the line early uh, after they have that weird battle on the like acrobatic uh, obstacle. Oh, The wipeout tower. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I wrote in my notes, nice guys finish last because uh, Percy like helps the one guy and he loses as a result, but and I the like random, it, but... the random guy too. Like who is this person? No, he's nobody. He's he's just some random 30 year old who just goes to camp. Uh, but, but right. Dionysus. I mean, they, they really lean into, to Mr. D talking about wine. He's always trying to pour wine. Um, and he pours wine into the glass and it's what it's water. And he's like oh the christians have a god you know who does the opposite he's like now that's a god um so i just like that it is this like yeah jesus is like the man like it's it's interesting having you know traditional greco you know roman polytheistic gods uh having discourse about um christianity i thought that was interesting
0: but I, um,
1: yeah that is interesting uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna. I was I was gonna say up. too. I uh,
0: I was just gonna say the the one other you know noticeable omission from this film is there's no Tantalus, which uh, yeah, I was sad about. Also, I thought Stanley Tucci was Tantalus initially, and then like, no, this is Dionysus. I was like, oh, he wasn't in the first film, so I
1: assumed they weren't gonna. Because he has a Hawaiian shirt on, right? And he right. he mis- He also mispronounces everyone's right in the book. It's always just like, you know, like Perry Johnson, but he does it to other characters in the movie, which is not right. Right. I mean, it's, it's only a Percy thing, but uh, I I was gonna say just like uh, Dionysus pouring wine and getting water. uh, This movie disappointed uh, every time, but I have good news. Oh, please share. Well, just recently, um, and we're recording this the week after Thanksgiving, um, the episode names for the Percy Jackson TV show have been released, right? All episode, all eight episodes, um, and they match exactly with the chapter titles in the book. Oh, that's very um, exciting. So first of all, it covers only the first book, which is good. Um, but for example, the first episode, which comes out on December 20th, um, and we're going to talk about this um is i accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher which is the first chapter in the book um there's other ones a god buys us cheeseburgers is episode five it was chapter 15 um and i like this because it means we're probably going to denver um so you know it'll hit close to home for us um and then we take a zebra we take a zebra to vegas uh which is episode six chapter 16 in the book um so it's it's it is very it's not just close it is identical i mean it it is it is the book um as, as best we can tell from from uh you know from here before it's released so that's it's good to feel very different
0: yes which is good it needed to feel different obviously i mean yeah we know we know that uh rick riordan hates these movies uh for good reason and so uh, it is exciting to see that um he's getting his um you know redemption the redemption of this series and what seems like a really faithful adaptation
1: perfect well rick if you're listening uh hit me up at uh, allroadspod at gmail.com and uh, we'd be happy to talk to you uh hear your thoughts on on all of these things
0: yeah we'd love to give an exclusive interview
1: Rick yeah, ex- exclusive. You're the only, per- we're the only person you're going to talk to. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Well, you want to close us out here, Sam?
0: Yeah. Well, dear listener, thank you for listening. And we hope that, that you'll go and watch this film and shoot us an email at all at gmail.com and let us know what you thought. Did you hate it as much as we did? Uh Did you find more redeeming elements? Um, what do you think about um, 30 year olds playing um, teenagers? Um, let us know. Again, if you, if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review. Um, it helps other people find the podcast. It helps us get valuable feedback on how we're doing. Um, and as always send us ideas, feedback, questions, Um And we, we always love to hear from our audience. Um, Goodbye.
1: Bye.